When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This is the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. This episode of the show, we're coming to you from the field on a recent rough grouse and woodcock hunt. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 153. podcast is presented by onyx hunt you can have a sporting dog cc usa garmin sage and breaker uplander lifestyle and dakota 283 all right welcome to it another episode of the birdshot podcast the first official interview based show as we are Back to our usual form on this episode. Thank you for joining me. Today is Saturday, October 16th, and I'm calling it. It is officially prime time rough grouse and woodcock hunting in this part of the world from here on out. Looking forward to it. I am preparing for a very busy week. Hopefully going to get a lot of hunting in. Pretty excited about it. Weather has cooled. The woods have thinned. We still don't have any frost. A lot of ground vegetation, but hunting is pretty good, I think. And come Monday, I'm heading out to Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Going to be there for a couple days. Some Upland Gun Company stuff and some folks from Yuke and Nuba are going to be there. And then coming home for a couple days and then I'm going to the cabin for the first time this season. Haven't been there yet. Looking forward to a long weekend at the cabin. Jason Bird, my buddy Garrett's going to come up. Maybe have a few other friends there. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. Campfires, long days in the woods. Maybe jump in the lake. Water's getting pretty cool, but the sauna helps. Love this time of year. I hope you're listening to this on the way to your next bird cover or maybe on the way up to grouse camp. Enjoy it, folks. This is it. Plenty of good days in the field ahead, but never lasts long enough. I'm sure everybody listening to this knows that. So before we get into today's show, I just want to say again, thank you to everybody who has reached out over the past couple of days. We 
officially launched the Birdshot podcast a couple of days ago. And every time I've kind of made an announcement about the new direction and what I'm doing with the show, I've, I've heard from a ton of people and it's, I mean, overwhelming is really the best, best way to put it. But man, I have had so many message exchanges and seen comments from folks and I just, I can't thank each and every one of you enough. It's, it's been, this whole process has not been without its challenges and seemingly at every turn, there's another listener, another friend kind of reaching out and offering some positive feedback and support. And it's been really, really helpful to me and I sincerely appreciate it. And whether or not we've spoken directly or talked, just the fact that you're listening to this show and hearing this, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. I will remind folks, we launched the podcast last week. Patreon account is up and running. I've had a bunch of people sign up already. Thank you so much for folks that have made that choice to support me in that way. I understand it's it's a select portion of people that are interested in it and completely understand if that's not your thing. But I will remind you that anybody that signs up before the end of October, you're going to be eligible for a Dakota 283 G3 medium kennel. Anybody signed up before the end of November, you will be eligible for a Dogtra Pathfinder Mini GPS collar. And after that, it's going to be a hunt giveaway in December. Still working on some details, but I think I'm going to get that sorted out when I'm out at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp next week. Hint, hint. So everybody that's considered that and signed up, thank you. Appreciate it. Take a look at it. And that's all I'm going to say about the Patreon account for now. All right, let's set up this interview. A couple years ago, I think it was right after the public grouse film came out, my involvement with that, I was talking to Jason Meekoff, regional rep for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. He asked me if I would donate a guided hunt to BHA. I said, yes. We did the raffle. We gave it away. Winner was Eric, who you will meet on today's show. This was a couple years ago. We were supposed to hunt last fall. Listeners of the show will know my seven-year-old English setter, Hartley, Taurus Cruciate, missed the whole season. I had Rose. She was just a puppy. We opted to kick the hunt down the road a year, and I'm very glad we did because the hunt that we had this year is just something that I would not have been able to provide these guys last year. So fast forward to this year, we all connected early season, picked a date, went out in the woods, and we had a blast out there. This was was almost 10 days ago now. It is still the most productive, best day of hunting I've had all season long certainly flush count wise, we had a good morning. Conditions were, it was overcast. It was damp. We had this fog that was hanging over the region and kind of got every day off to a really good start, but I knew the sun was coming out. It did. By midday, it was hot and the sun was really hot. Sky opened up, everything dried out and hunting conditions went to crap pretty much. So we took a break, had a long lunch, recorded this podcast. We still had a pretty good morning. We went out after we recorded the podcast did one more hunt. We put Harley down again and we had a really good walk. Saw a bunch of birds. There were grouse and woodcock flushing everywhere. At the end of the day, my flush counters, I had 34 grouse and 37 woodcock. I try not to count reflushes. If I know it's a reflush, I'm not counting on there. So somewhere around 34 grouse, 37 woodcock, we had a bunch of reflushes. So when the guys and I were sort of recapping it at the end of the day. I mean, it was legitimately, we had 40 grouse flushes and 40 woodcock flushes had an 80 flush day, which I don't know about you. That's not every day when I'm in the woods. That was a good day. I, I don't know that was the best day that I've ever had, but it's hard to look at an 80 flush day and think that's not a damn good day in the woods. So we didn't walk out of the woods with a ton of birds, but I think I can speak for the three of us and say that we had a blast out there 
We got to see a lot of birds fly. The guys were shooting. The guys were having fun. And we recorded this podcast right during the middle of our day when we were resting and recuperating a little bit and letting the heat of the day pass us by. So with all that said, let's jump into our interview and welcome into the conversation and onto the Birdshot podcast of Minnesota BHA, Matt Lee, and Minnesota BHA member, Eric Lang. If they got bars, though. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. If they get bars, then they will. Just bring us got bars all the way up here. Rhubarb. <laughs> oh yeah. Now shooting protection is not required on the podcast, so you don't need to wear the glasses. No, I know. <laughs> but I don't have sunglasses with okay. me. <laughs> okay. Well, if we need to move in the shade, we can do that. But I'm fine. We're rolling on the Birdshot podcast. Thanks for joining me today, guys. Thank yeah, you. No problem. This might be. I have recorded some podcasts in cool spots. This, just being a rough grouse nut, this might be the coolest spot. Seeing as we, how many grouse did we flush within 15 yards of where we're now seated? Three. Or did you get a fourth one? Um, I think it was. Two when we got here. Two, it was two when we pulled in. We went for a little hike. We came back out, and there was, did you um, did you see those birds coming out of there? I saw one, so saw if there one. was a second one, I then there was. I think there was two okay. there. Yeah, and I don't know if it was the same two. It it very well could have yeah. been. I, I ducked in after the second one. It was when I went off chasing rose, a hundred yards that way. Did you end up flushing the grouse? No. Yeah. It's probably still sitting up in that cedar tree, just waiting. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> looked around in it, but just based on how they've all settled today, some of them settled in the trees, and some of them just zipped right past. So it's either you're looking at the the height where you saw them past the tree. Yeah. Or they just kind of went on another 30 yards into the grass, and who knows? Yeah. There is a possibility that we could have the first ever rough grouse flush on the podcast if we sit here long enough. Right. They might come back. <laughs> that is true. What we've seen. I am in the woods today recording a podcast with two guests, and I'll have them introduce themselves, and then we'll kind of get into a little bit about what brought us all together. But start on my left. You've been on the podcast before, Matt. I have. I have. It's been uh, since Pheasant Fest a couple of years ago, but I'm happy to be back. The yeah. last great gathering of upland hunters, I think. Pheasant I think Fest you're right. 2020. I think you're right. It, yeah. was, it was just squeaked it in there, too. It was good. Yeah. Good to be there. I'm, I'm Matt Lee. I am the uh, state chapter chair for the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, Minnesota. We, Minnesota, yeah, yeah. The state chapter of Minnesota chair. Uh, we are the uh, fastest growing, still, I think, upland or fastest growing sportsman's group. In the country. BHA as a whole. BHA as yeah. a whole. Okay. Yeah. We've got uh, roughly 1,600 members statewide right now. Um, kind of with COVID and everything, we've been keeping even. Yeah. So that's been good. And then um, nationally, I think we're still around 40,000. Okay. So they did. I 35. The, I remember the, being, they were across the 30K mark, but yeah. sounds like 35, 40. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm at, where we know. Yeah. But. Yeah. And our other guest is here with us today because, well, so I'll back up a little bit. Two years ago, I, Jason Meekoff, he's still the regional. Yeah, he's still the regional coordinator regional for coordinator, uh, the Great Lakes region. Yeah, country hunters and angler. Asked me if I would be willing to donate a hunt to BHA. And I don't think anybody had giant financial aspirations as far as the raffle goes. But I know, thanks to Eric, we did sell at least one ticket. <laughs> so thank you very much for uh, for putting your hat in the ring and, and making a contribution to VHA. And, man, 
that was two years ago. We were planning on hunting last year. Last year, the, the listeners of the podcast will know my older dog, Hartley, had a torn cruciate and he missed the whole season. And I just had a pup, so I, I, it worked out better that we, we waited a year, but we, we kicked it back and uh, we all connected this year. And it's October 7th today. We just spent the morning hiking around the grouse woods and we had a little, uh, we had some action that we'll, we'll maybe detail and recap. But Eric, you're here with us and uh, introduce yeah. yourself. Tell us where you're from. And yep, I'm uh, Eric Lang and I'm uh, here from uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, this has been something that's been a, a while in the making, but uh, happy to be here today for sure. Yeah. Tell me about your hunting background, Eric, because uh, obviously, you know, we just kind of met this morning and we've we've been sharing some stories and the three of us have kind of gelled together as far as just talking about all the different things that a three Minnesota residents would typically be doing in the fall. But what, uh, when did you get started hunting? I uh, grew up predominantly in a, in a family that fished, okay. um, but uh, around about the time that I was 15, 16, really started taking an interest uh, in getting out hunting more, and uh, it was something that my father and grandfather had done uh, a lot, was grouse hunting and, okay. and duck hunting. And so I dabbled in a few different areas, but ultimately keep coming back to uh, Upland as being my favorite to really just hunt grouse. So. Yeah. Are are you from Minnesota? Yep. Okay. Yep. So born and raised here. Early exposure to the outdoors. But do you have a do you have any dogs? Yeah, I have a uh, old lab these days. Okay. Yeah. Did the lab ever hunt? Yeah, she did. She uh, she had a few good years of hunting and uh, definitely fun to to hunt with. Although being a uh, lab, she was more of a flusher than anything. And, sure. Uh, sure. But we we covered a lot of ground, and she more than I. So now she's a little little bit old, so she tends to like the couch more than getting out although she does get excited still she just can't make it as far yeah so where are you where are you at as far as upland hunting are you at a point where you're diving deeper into it do you kind of do about the same amount every year i'm actually at a point where i'm coming back to it okay uh i've got a uh, daughter now who's five and obviously the first couple years put a damper in how many uh, days out i could get sure um but you know there was a time and we may have talked about this a little earlier as we're walking around i used to go out every weekend and with a stack of prim maps and a yeah. case full of shells and and just uh find new places and that that uh, obviously ebbed and uh now yeah. I'm excited to uh to get back into it so yeah yeah that's very cool any plans to uh put another bird dog in the pack at some point in the future you kind of think definitely about it? Yeah. yeah yeah that uh you know trying to enjoy the days that we have with our old old dog and uh yeah. Um, not rush that, but, but definitely, uh, has been on a point of consideration for several years now. Yeah. Now was today, I think you may have mentioned this, but was it your first time hunting over pointy dogs? Yeah. Yeah. First impressions? It, uh, I, I feel like, uh, maybe there have been days in the past that I ha- have, uh, dragged myself through the underbrush far more than maybe I needed to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to, good to sort of have that. At least, you know, that was the one thing, like, you know, I haven't done a lot of guiding. I've done a little bit of volunteer guiding and stuff. But, you know, it's when you go bird hunting with some, like, I do it a lot myself and you kind of have my way of going about it. But you never know, like, how much people are going to tolerate. And I will flat out say I I didn't hold back on the covers we went into. And you guys, you weren't complaining. No. <laughs> so that's That cool. wasn't holding back? No. I'd be glad you've never come with me. <laughs> I've taken some guys on some pheasant hunts that, uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, and... 
cattails, I think, can be pretty nasty. I have. You uh, spent more time doing that. Yeah, I spent I a lot of time traipsing through cattails, and if you honestly, that's I learned a lot about deer hunting from pheasant hunting. Yeah, pheasant hunting and cattails. It's it's interesting, but uh, yeah, you know, you just you pick up where the trails are in there, and then you can transfer that all to the rest of your hunting when you're out pheasant hunting. Right. You, the, yeah. the edges and everything else. So yeah, this was definitely not the nastiest cover we hunt. You know, the stuff that we hunted this morning was. I mean, I'd hunt that all day. That was yeah. that was relatively yeah, yeah, was easy going. That was a twelve-year-old aspen cut that we were we were flirting with the edges and we we're kind of in, in it and around it and ended up getting into some birds. But they were it's we've had this strange weather pattern where I think it's you know the Lake Superior is involved with it, but we've got this a lot of fog and every night this fog kind of lays down and it's like cloudy and overcast in Duluth and we buzz out inland a little ways and knowing the fog was going to lift but when we started it was there was moisture on the ground it was cooler it was really good really good conditions but i think after what we saw the birds were they're a little slow to get started they're up in the pine trees and we we got into a clump of pines and started moving moving birds out of there but back to the point of this being your first time over hunting over pointing dogs i will say that i'm happy that the very first bird contact we had was like i mean the pinnacle of rough grouse hunting pointing dog we were eric and i were kind of walking this edge the really nice edge i was in the aspen you were sort of on the outside of it it was patchy open there was pines there hartley came in front heard the bell stop he wasn't that far was on point we sort of moved in and that bird had that bird gone out into the opening you would have had a wide open shot at it yes a little bit smarter than that he flushed right up and over hartley and I had as good of a shot as you'll ever have on a rough grouse, and I promptly missed it. <laughs> and then I promptly missed it twice. <laughs> so sailing yeah, over towards uh... Matt's direction, and yeah, and I did feel like I was a little bit conflicted. I told these guys, "I'm carrying a gun. My my top priority is not to shoot today, but you know, you hate to be standing there without a gun." And I did have a have a good look at a grouse this morning, and I missed it, but that'll happen. And it's the grouse woods. <laughs> you gotta gotta have a gun and shoot. Yeah. It's yeah, exactly. And th- that was the first bird, and then we didn't. Then I think we f- we reflushed that one a couple times. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. uh, we were kind of going in that direction, and it wasn't wasn't cooperating. But then then things got a little chaotic. We sort of spun into. We maybe kicked up one other one wild flush, and then we got into those pine trees, and all of a sudden started hearing birds flushing, and Matt was banging away. Let. <laughs> We better we better talk about this one. I mean, sure, if, if we have to. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Hartley flushed a bird my way, and it Bumped settled down bird. about 10 feet off to yeah. my left, and I could hear his bell ringing, you know, 40, 50 yards away, and it's the only dog out there. Well, so. he, had, he, had, he stopped, actually, because yeah. I was waiting for the point notification on my watch. And unbeknownst to me, this was occurring over by you. Yeah, he had, yeah, he had, I, I had heard him out there where he yep. was that he had stopped, but I knew that, I knew that he was well clear of this bird. So I took a shot at it on the ground. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> I mean, the grass erupted all around this thing. And the next thing I know, it's taken off and I take another shot at it. And <laughs> I was a little bit surprised and I shot over that one. So yeah, yeah I, uh, I missed one on the ground. <laughs> pretty sad <laughs> yeah i have done it before so i'm i'm laughing with you good in this one man <laughs> yeah but that's uh you never know what can happen and that that was a uh, again you saw it buzzing in low yeah it came it came in at about four feet off the ground and yeah. settled down right in an opening right next to me i could see its head sticking up right 10 feet away it's one of those where's the dog dog safe 
Yeah. All right. It's an opportunity. So, you know, normally when I'm out hunting with a dog, I'm not going to shoot at something on the ground like that. Right. You know, if there's multiple dogs or anything else, it's just, it's really not the most ideal shot to take. Yeah. But, you know, if you're certain of where that animal is, then it's, it's relatively safe to take that shot. And I did. And yeah, I think I hardly on the watch, he was. He was 80 yards in front of us, and yeah. really the the grouse flew behind. Yeah, you, he so was. Yeah, he was off behind, and I was shooting around. away and behind all of us. So yeah. it was definitely. Yep. Yep. So that that was uh, that was the beginning. Had some misses mixed in there, and then we started getting into a few more. And I don't. Did you crack out a couple more? Oh yeah. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you were shooting. I've shot I mean, about half a box of shells today. <laughs> it's been. Uh, I uh, you know it's. I have a love-hate relationship with this little Satori that I have. It's a uh, older, like, 87, I think, uh, uh, Upland Special. It's got 24-inch barrels, an English stock. It swings. It's really light to carry. It swings real quick, but it stops really fast. Yeah. And it mounts really quick, and sometimes I mount it a little bit uh, a little bit short, and I'm not quite looking down the comb the way I should yeah. be. And uh, so I have a tendency to shoot high on those. And I think that's high and a little bit behind because, like I said, it's so easy to stop swinging that gun. Yeah. But it's a fun gun to shoot. If there is a trick for getting the gun to your face when a wild bird is flushing in front of you, I would love to. I would love for a listener to t- tell me, do this, because as much as I know that's the problem. Like, how many times do you shoot at a bird and immediately you recognize, didn't get the gun to my face? Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, it's, it's that startling flush of the bird, and I, it's a, it's something I struggle with every year. I am far better on my second shot than I am my first yeah, shot, right? frankly. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I've, I've, uh, so much so that I've mounted shot and then pushed, pushed the stock away and remounted on my shoulder, shot and hit. Sure. <laughs> kind of thing. And so I think that in, yeah, that experience in lies the answer. It's patience. Yeah. Just slow down, take a beat. While it seems so fast. Yes. It actually happens a lot slower than mm-hmm. than we want to admit so yeah you know just just take a couple minutes they're not minutes but take, just take a breath yeah. yeah while you're bringing it up make sure you got everything lined up and then you'll get your shot and, yeah and the years that i shot more skeet and trap those are the years where i've had more success in fact the most successful year of pheasant hunting i ever had was a year i went and started out with dove yeah so yep. you know walking up dove in uh wheat stu- or uh, bean stubble is a real good way to. You don't feel so rushed. You don't have yeah, to well, limited yeah. visibility. Yep, and yep. you get sighted in on on a, a crafty, darty little sure. quick bird. Yep. I mean, yep, that's the hardest bird I've ever shot at are doves, and so. Yeah, no, that's. I'm almost certain. I couldn't tell you why I wasn't able to get the gun to my face again. That first grouse that Hartley pointed it flushed right 45 degree. I mean, straight crosser, but it was going up. I mean, as good of a look as you can get on a grouse and i i only shot once which to me tells me that like i was i was feeling pretty good about the shot and mm-hmm. i was kind of expecting the bird to fall which is never really a good thing but you gotta have a little confidence in your shooting you know i, I was feeling good about it and kept going and i don't know you gotta you got a shot at it but well i you know i was out a couple of years ago with a friend of mine and he was uh first hunt wild hunt over his dog with pheasants and we're south of the Twin Cities, and this we're coming up this little rise. You know how pheasants are. You get kind of the top of the hill where it starts to go back down. If there's a bird there, you've got a good shot that they're going to they're gonna flush at that point. Yeah. Bird flushes. He kind of stares at it, 
watches it turn, and then another one flushes right from almost the same spot as that, and he just watched both of them. Didn't even mount the gun to his shoulder. <laughs> it was the darndest thing I've ever seen. My guy's out first time with his new dog, yeah. not amped up and missed the shot. Didn't even mount it. Yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah. Well, that's the flip side of the coin where, you know, even you were commenting about that today. You'd flushed a grouse out of a tree. You just sort of randomly stopped, and you didn't shoot, and you were sort of commenting on, like, sometimes it is, it's hard to almost convince yourself to shoot. Yeah. In the grouse woods, with that limited visibility, yeah. like, a lot of things just seem not possible. But yeah. They, they get more than 20 yards away, and if they're not in an open lane, right. you just feel like you don't want to shoot. I mean, it's just, yeah. Is this your guys' first upland bird hunt of the year? Yeah, this is my first, first year. One. Yeah. I got out two weeks ago up oh, uh, right. up north of Ely, yep. but uh, due to some safety issues, I didn't get a shot off there either. Ah. <laughs> I was carrying an old Remington 1100 that I've oh, had for a yes. while, and uh, <laughs> I'm used to shooting a Beretta that's got the safety forward of the trigger well, and this has it. So they have it to the so, rear. So it's an index finger. Trigger yeah, it's right? an index. The, the Beretta over the Beretta semi-autos is uh, it's an index finger yep. at the forward of the trigger well, and the Remington is thumb after, on, behind the trigger. Thumb on the back. Well, or no, it's it, no, it's it. So it's, it's on behind. The other side? Okay. It's the back side of the trigger well instead of the front side, and I pushed on the front side and then went and found Tried a to stiff the trigger. trigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> safety work. Yeah, safety work. Great. <laughs> so you know, safety check test. Good. Was that was opening weekend? Yeah, that was. It was. It was Sunday of opening weekend. My wife and I were up around Ely and uh, warm, thick foliage. Yeah, it was fairly thick. It wasn't any warmer than it is today. Okay. But uh, it today. was. It was good to get out, and we've got a uh, German Shepherd mix with several other. That's not things. a pure German Shepherd. No, no, he's not at all. No, if you Looks notice, very German yeah, Shepherd. if you notice though, he does not have that sloping back and hips at all. He's okay. he's level across his back. Yeah. Um, I think that ultimately it came back as a super mutt is what <laughs> they said. Mutt. But I've been kind of working with him as a squirrel. He loves chasing squirrels in the backyard. He's caught one. Really? In the backyard. You know, midair has decided to change trees yeah. for whatever reason. So he caught it. He's caught a rabbit in the backyard. He likes to hunt. And I've trained him to kind of bark at the trees, the squirrels in the tree in the backyard. And yeah. So I've done that. I've taken him out on pheasant hunts for birds of flush in front of him. And there's a there's a story here. I need to get out and shoot more. <laughs> so that I connect better when I get to wild game because, yeah. frankly, I, uh, I, I've i had a rough couple of seasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as much as I wish it would feel like it would get easier sometimes, it, you know, and, again, early season, the less visibility you have, I mean, the tougher it is. It's just it's just, it's a hand-eye thing, shooting thing, but, man, it can feel really tough. And then we end up snap shooting. Yep. You know, that was a topic of conversation today. I do that a lot. Sometimes it feels like that's, if a grouse is going straight away from you, it's like you're snapping to a window and shooting. Like yep. there's not a whole lot else you can do. And, you know, a better shooter might have a might have a solution for that. But, yeah, it's just tough. I think sometimes, too, you're limited by what uh, what's the field in which you can actually shoulder the gun, too, Correct. right? Because yeah. if it's thick in there, you just got to snap to the yeah. point where you got an opening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sometimes getting a shot off is just, that's an accomplishment yep. <laughs> in itself. Yeah. Well, what will the rest of the upland season look like for you, Eric? Uh, you know, I have plenty of ex- excuses to uh, get up north. And yeah. uh, we got a place over, we had talked about this a little bit earlier. And, 
got plenty of reasons to get up to the cabin and work yeah uh and make that into some additional trips and uh my work schedule allows me to get away some so uh i love late season truthfully and and like to especially anything after thanksgiving is is fun to get out as long as it's not miserable cold yeah so uh there'll, there'll definitely be uh some more uh on the horizon here but uh i'll take it as it comes yeah what does a typical day look like when you're out bird hunting on your own are you finding finding trails or like what's your kind of approach to grouse hunting you know i've got some it kind of depends on what my attitude is on that day uh i really do love the adventure of it and exploring new ground yeah um and you know dare i say running the risk of of getting lost in some thick cover that i'm not familiar with sure but i also have some old haunts too it's sometimes it's uh, it's hard to give up the idea that I've seen birds here in previous years. So this is the piece of, uh, property that I want to cover as well. So yeah, yeah, kind of, like I say, definitely there are times where I'll grab a map, uh, do some scouting online or grab a prim map and check out a, a spot that looks promising and it could be a bust or it could be yeah. good. Yeah. So, yeah. Prim maps. I love it. You're aging us. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a public myself. recreation information yeah. map for Minnesota that uh, it's pre-onyx, yeah. shall we say. But I'm thinking great. to myself, how could you get lost when you have a cell phone? Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you could drop that in the water or, you know, any any number of things could go wrong. I do wear a compass still. You could have a bad GPS like I had on my phone. Up have until you had that year ago. Yeah, yeah. I actually... I was uh, deer hunting on a friend's property last year and, and didn't wasn't lost, but I was disoriented and got off of his property onto the neighbor's property because I wasn't, it was cloudy and I wasn't quite sure yeah. what way was truly east and my reception was spotty enough that I wasn't getting good location. Yep. And so I was over the line, but I wasn't hunting. So, I mean, I, I was, but once I realized that I was just made a beeline back sure. on the correct property. Yeah. And I don't want to sound anti-technology because I do, you know, yeah. we, as we were talking about earlier, watch. I've got the Garmin watch and that is, uh, you know, it, that is great because I can see if I'm hooking back on a track or, yep. uh, you know, at least know where I started from. Uh, and that's, you know, you can get kind of lost, but not get so lost that it's a problem. Correct. Yeah. You know, there's a balance there where, you know, you find that place where you're just kind of moving through the cover and you're not, you know, like I have a tendency to to take my phone out and check the map because I'm usually trying to, I'm trying to, to work a terrain feature or, Mm -hmm. you know, a a stand of timber or something or a swamp edge. And, you know, as much as you can feel that out in the cover, you can, but sometimes you hit a wall of something and it's everything's a different scale in real life. So then I'm looking at the map and like, which way do I want to veer? And, but that exploration and that sense of adventure is definitely one of the draws yeah uh, for me as well and and this time of year like i was kind of telling you guys i i try to in the early season i try to scout a lot of new spots just trying to see you know i'm I'm, it's not the prime time hunting i'm trying to find new ground and cover and that's what we're really doing down down this road i i'd hunted this when i was in high school a long time ago and hadn't been down here in a long time and i've been down here a couple times this season so far trying some different areas and so far very pleased with with what I saw and I the hunts we had today first one was pretty good that was a lot of grouse to put up in in the amount of time we were on the ground the second run which I think was better quality habitat higher quality habitat better cover it was a bigger space we didn't put up as many grouse but we did finally find some woodcock but it got warm it's it was, yeah it was the bookends 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, we put yeah, up a yeah, lot yeah, of woodcock. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. We we pulled into the to the spot where we were going to park, and there was grouse in the air. And before they even touched down, Matt was out of the truck, and he was r- racing around getting his stuff ready to go. And yeah, didn't help. Didn't help. But <laughs> we put we did we flushed, flushed. It again. Yeah, we knew one for sure, and then a second one flushed just as that first one we saw. And I yes. actually shot at the second one. Yeah. But, uh, you know, because I was hoping the first one was going to go towards Eric and he'd have a shot at it. Yeah. And but, it did, but Eric, unfortunately, had a big cedar tree. Right uh, I did. Yeah. yeah. And I that one I did come up late on yeah. and uh, realized it and tried to swing through, but uh, I was still behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I had the best look at that grouse, but I did not have a shotgun in my hand. So there is that. It's usually how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, I mean... The cover that I brought you guys into today does that was that familiar to you? Was were you expecting something different, or did it feel grousey to you? It did feel grousey, and I can think of a lot of times where I've hunted, you know, land that's that's pretty similar there. Yeah. Um, it was just I I think what was most interesting was crossing a lot of spots that you know normally I would have expected to get my feet wet, and that was not happening today yeah. at all. Yeah. It is dry. It's super dry. Yeah. I mean, I suspect so far this year it's had a it's had kind of a strange feeling to me. I've had some really good hunts where I've got into birds. I mean, I feel like there's there's birds on the landscape, but I've had some a number of times and I would put this in there with one of them just because I mean, from the minute we left the truck to the minute we got back, we were in high quality habitat. We there was no there's no gaps and like we were not into birds the way we could have been and we're in low stuff. There's cedars around here. There's like you're saying, we were walking through patches of alders where the ground is soft. You know, there's there's supposed to be water in there, yeah. but there's not. And right. I mean, I don't like. You can't get any lower than this. This whole area is it's swamps and stuff, and it's just. I mean, the drought has been talked about at length, but even here in northern Minnesota, it's there's it's plenty plenty dry, and I don't. Yeah, you know, I'm not smart enough to know exactly what that means for where the grouse are going, and well. If it's anything like pheasant, obviously most of my experience comes from pheasant hunting. I'm, I'm relatively inexperienced yeah. with grouse, but in those drier years, the pheasants can get deeper in the cattails. Sure. Right? And I imagine they can get deeper, grouse can get deeper in the swamps if they choose to move on foot yep. away from things. Yeah. And, you know, there is a lot of extra cover available. Yes. Without the water on the landscape. And uh, yeah. it's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of those alder swamps that. You know, norm maybe in a normal year there would be enough water in there where the grouse might be right on the edge, right yeah. where I want to go. Yeah, you could push them right to the edge there and, and have some opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and whereas this year they could they, be, they go right through it. Exactly, yeah, I was going right through it. Yep, it was bone dry. Yeah, yeah. And a day like this, you know, I do think it's it's hot enough where I mean, I'm sure a grouse. The dogs are hot. We're 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 hiking. We're getting worked up. I'm sure the grouse aren't overly warm today, but. I do think they're they're seeking out shadows and shade, and they could be they could be in the back in those cedars, you know. And we just we weren't really in there. Yeah, yeah. Especially if they started their day out in the cedars the way it seems they did. Frankly, right. You know, look like uh, with the fog and and just the moisture content in the air last night. I think they probably stayed into the cedars and then got up in the limbs and yeah. When the sun came out, they were still drying off, and that's why we started flushing a bunch of birds at the ten to twenty foot line. Yeah. Overhead. Yeah. Yeah. And for, man, for how, like, there was a good bit of moisture on the ground as far as dew and everything in the air, but it's dried out really quick. It has. You know, scenting conditions are not ideal right now. But we did, another strange thing for me this year has been woodcock. And I've, I told you guys about this, that 
I, I can only assume that they're just very concentrated and I'm, I'm certain it has plenty to do with moisture content and where that is and where they can feed. But I've had a lot of walks, including our first one this morning on a normal year. I would, I would consider that good for five, five, six woodcock any day. I mean, it was, we were in again, 12 year old Aspen. It's not prime woodcock cover, but normally they're spread out enough where my dogs are going to find some. And today was zero. You know, and the woodcock aren't up in the trees like the grouse, right? Like if right. they're there, they're there. But we didn't flush any. In here, we found them, and this felt dry to me. And maybe it's the time yeah. of day that we were in there. But I've I've been in here twice this year to different pieces of this cover, and this is the one place that I've actually found numbers of woodcock. And today, today we flush fifteen. I think I flushed fifteen. Yeah, a week and a half ago. I think which uh, isn't crazy, but and that was within about. A quarter mile? They were all very yeah. in a very small area. The first couple yep. came from a, that kind of woody slash pile yes, of raspberries yep. on it, and then we came across another pile like that and started flushing a bunch more and then got to the other side of that, and, and for whatever reason, the ground wasn't great for regrowth. Yeah. You mentioned it. Yep. It was so low low trees. looks like some upstarting balsam or white pine yep. coming up, and it was you know maybe three feet off the ground, and there were woodcock all over in there. Yep. I like being in areas like that i think early season we, we haven't had frost so there's a lot of grass in there i don't think it's it's the number one spot where a grouse is going to be and we did not see any grouse in there today but you get a little bit of frost and clean that area up i love being in there and this is from a shooter's perspective you imagine a grouse getting up in there you know right. it's open it's pat it's where the aspen's not regenerating it's very patchy and I mentioned this to Eric, hazelbrush will come up in clumps and yep. stuff like that. And woodcock love it. You know, there's woodcock in those hazelbrush clumps a lot. But you come through here in November or even December if there's no snow, like that's a good, because that's tight cover. That's a good late season spot. And there's plenty of conifers around here. I like walking through that stuff. Even if I'm not going to see the most grouse, like the opportunities could be good, that low patchy cover. But yeah, the woodcock, woodcock were in there and, and again, it's not like not like our boots were getting wet or anything in there, but they must be able to find some food or get to the worms or something. But there were cedars around, so the the water line's probably not not all that low in there. But gearing up for your next hunt, check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. Yeah, they were all fairly close to Cedars, too, wherever mm-hmm. all those woodcocks flushed. Yep. So. Yeah, and other thing is, like like I said, I haven't been down this road in years, and it would be interesting to come back here, and I will come back here in a different year, maybe more water, and see 
what of that is not, you know, might be walking around a whole lot more stuff or for sure be wearing the rubber boots. <laughs> yeah, not straight lining it quite as much. <laughs> exactly. As if there's such thing as a straight line in this, but. Yeah, right. Yeah, there uh, were a couple of spots that were uh, almost spongy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine on a wet year how, how a wet year as warm as it was today, I don't think I'd want to hunt this full of mosquitoes. If I mean, it was warm, yeah. Yeah, like yep. today, it's just. Yeah. How many pheasant hunts you got? You got anything planned? You going out of state at all, Matt? Uh, I don't know that I'm going to go out of state. I'm, I'm without a dog for the last few years. Okay. Uh, a legit upland dog anyway. Yeah, right. Um, but uh plan to get out and do some uh, mentoring type hunts. Okay. Uh, I'm actually giving a uh, webinar, pheasant webinar, with the DNR here coming up next week on the 13th. So I'm sure you all missed it, but there's a recording out there if you're interested. Uh check it out the minnesota dnr has been putting together a uh, online webinar series this year really since they haven't been able to do a uh, any in-person stuff with covid last year they had to come up with an alternate plan to kind of push the r3 uh, recruit retain and reactivate issue with folks and so uh uh one of our other board members got asked to help with a dove hunt uh webinar back in the end of august and then i'm doing a pheasant hunt to one and then we're going to try to put together a uh, little outing i think at the end of the month Maybe see if some of the folks that showed up want to meet up and do a little pheasant hunting in the in cool. the real world. Okay. Real wild pheasants. Where might that be? Uh, it's probably going to be somewhere around the metro. Okay. Twin Cities metro yep. area. Yep. Um, I know the uh, the DNR guy lives that's in charge of R3, James Burnham. He lives in the metro area, so we're going to get out and try to do something probably within an hour or so. Yeah. I know a few spots that are fairly decent. I've had a lot of luck, but I've hunted those with a dog. And in pheasant, pheasant uh, habitat's fairly predictable. Yeah. If you've hunted it, the birds, for whatever reason, seem to flush in the same areas year to year. I mean, you'll get the random out in the open flushes of a bird that you were pushing around, but yeah. you can you can target little pieces of habitat within the habitat. And so that's that's basically what I'm going to be talking about with this with this webinar okay. to help new yeah. new hunters. You know, what do I do? What do I need? How do I get out there? Um, that'll be one of the pheasant hunts that I'll do this year, and I'm sure I'll get out a couple more times. We've got a couple of board members now that have uh, uh, wire hairs and griffons, I think. And, uh, ooh, there's a Dutch version of that. Mm, I should know, but yeah. I'm not sure. Poodle pointer? No. Anyway. Well, that's a, that is a breed, but. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, there, It's a similar bearded bearded uh, dog like that, so. Yeah. But uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, we'll get out a few times. Did you hunt pheasant a lot last year? Mm, a lot. No, I got out three or four times. Okay. Saw birds every time. Yeah. So got some friends out. I've got another couple friends that have some labs. Get out and work with those. But uh, back before a lot of my friends had kids, we used to get out a lot of weekdays and get out western Minnesota and tear it up. I mean, there's good there's good hunting in Minnesota for those that aren't interested in continuing the drive to South Dakota. Yeah. But uh, if you've never been to South Dakota, it's worth a drive. Yeah. So. Yep. I went there last year, and I have yet to hunt pheasant in Minnesota, so I feel like kind of a, kind of letting the state down there. But I'm sure that I'm sure that Minnesota pheasant hunters don't mind me not. No, I'm sure they don't. <laughs> I'm sure they don't. In fact, the guy with the podcast not having any, any experience in Minnesota with birds. Yeah. No, you're good, man. Yeah. Stay where you're at. Stay up in the woods, Nick. Uh, keep hunting those grouse, you fool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, half the bird for twice the work. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah, but they're just so much fun to hunt. 
aren't they? Well, all we have done is talk about how hard they, how, how hard they are to see and hit. And yeah, that. well, you've <laughs> never you've never hunted pheasants in the prairie on a windy day. Oh, I yeah, I uh, my pheasant hunt last year was a good one. High quality habitat, lots of birds, lots of opportunity. I definitely am overdue on a good old public land pheasant hunt. Yeah, yeah, a good old public land pheasant hunt yeah. on a windy day. Yeah. I challenge. <laughs> I bet yeah. those birds. It, it's and they're interesting, tough, man. They're, yeah. I know they're tough. They're a tough bird. It you know you got to hit them pretty square to yep. to knock them down. And when you do knock them down, they have a tendency to take off and run if you don't hit them well. Grouse maybe not so much. You know the grouse. The challenge is yeah. getting a good swing on them when they're in the woods and. Yep. You know, the pheasant, a lot of times, if they turn downwind, they accelerate so fast. Grouse seem to get up and are looking for their sanctuary, whatever, wherever they're going to land next. They're, they're up, they're then looking to go back down. Right. Whereas a pheasant is up, gone, and will sail. Let me cover some ground. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, they, I've seen them go half a mile yeah. before setting back down. So it's, it, it's very different beasts. You know, you can get into the same uh, heavy cover you know, work your butt off kind of situations. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I honestly, I like both. I, I really, my, my joy and, and thanks for having us out for this oh, is, yeah. is watching dogs work. Yeah. Yep. You know, that's, that's the best part of it. That's why I haven't hunted as much since my dog passed away five years ago. It's just not as fun out there going out and just shooting a bird. Yeah. You know, I can find those spots. I've done that. I did my, my first hunt after my dog had passed away. It was kind of a sad hunt, but I went out to one of the spots that we, typically hunt and i i shot a limit of birds there and it was really kind of sad not having her there so that yeah yeah speaking of dogs and grouse typically not being hard to bring down which i absolutely agree with you know normally you hit them they're they're going to be down and they're going to be probably in that same spot now anybody that's hunted them long enough has seen crazy things happen which brings me to my story last friday i've shared this via text message with a couple of other hunting buddies but i had a one of the most it, there was a good result to this, but one of the craziest things, and it really makes you think. So I'm I'm hunting last Friday. I've got Hartley on the ground. We're walking a two-track, and he cuts into the woods and goes on point. I make my way into the cover. He's 50 yards away or so, and just as I'm getting to him, I emerge onto another little brushy kind of an ATV trail. It was an offshoot of the one that I had been on, which is relevant little bit later in this story so anyways i i emerge onto this two track and it just happens to be kind of going right where i need to go to close the gap on this point and so i'm going down it and i don't get five five six yards down the trail and a bird gets up in front of me a grouse gets up in front of me there's a little window and there's a spruce tree and i pop my gun up make a really shitty gun mount <laughs> i had to think about if i wanted to swear but i just I normally don't but i did <laughs> I'm, it was that bad of a gun mount. So bad. you're shooting like I've been all day. <laughs> That's what Good. I'm getting at. Yeah, thanks. So I made a terrible gun mount, and I but I got a shot off, and like never even didn't even think about shooting again because the grouse was not in view. It, it, there was no indication of a hit on this bird. Zero clue. It kind of went behind the tree, and then I I could see it. I got a glimpse of it continuing to fly down this ATV trail. So I took a shot at a grouse, so I'm going to walk that way. And I couldn't really tell what was happening. So like in the back of your mind, there's a little bit of a wishful thinking like, oh, maybe I'll go up 20 yards and find it or the dog will, you know. So I go up and Hartley's cutting back and forth through there. And we look around for a couple of minutes, don't see anything, didn't have an indication of a hit. That's grouse hunting, you know, that happens. 
had it not been for this ATV trail, I would have probably turned and gone straight back to the other trail I was on and kept on going. But because this trail was going in that direction and the cover looked good, I thought, well, I'll keep walking down here. I've never been in there before. It was a new spot. I'll go check it out. So I walked down the trail and I'm still kind of like on alert. Like maybe we're going to reflush this bird. I get 50 yards. And then as you get further and further, you're like, your sense of alertness comes down. You know, we're back to just hunting mode, right? Nothing's going to happen. And I went a distance that could not have, I might be able to measure this on Onyx, but I, it could not have been less than 150 yards down the trail. And I'm walking and just coincidentally, Hartley comes from the, my left, cuts in front of me on the trail and slams on point in the trail. And he's kind of like turned back at me. Like he's really twisted up, which is like, you know, intensity. Like I immediately was ready for a flush because there was, I was really close to him. And I take two steps up and I look down into the grass on the ATV trail. And here's this grouse that his head was almost still up, but it was like doing one of these where he was like just Hmm. expiring as I happened on him. And I mean, again, 150 yards, like, and the, the trail wasn't arrow straight, but I'm guessing because the trail was there, I think maybe that's why this grouse flew that far down. But just like when you take a step back and realize like, I don't know I you know I didn't autopsy the bird or anything, but I I must have had a pellet or two in him. Golden BB shot him going yeah. away, and but it's just amazing. Like that bird gets left in the woods nine out of ten times, yeah. or you know nine point nine out of ten times to die. Like I just, it's a miracle that I found that bird, and I don't know. It just really makes you think. Like people say, and I I have said, you know, you take a shot at a grouse, you should follow it up. But the the reality of people following up. 150 to 200 yards on a bird like uh it's i don't know it's just it makes you think about sort of the shots you take and the things that you can have and the responsibility that you yeah you have as a hunter but i was very lucky to put that bird in the bag i've seen that a couple times with uh with pheasants they'll sometimes they'll get up they'll get turned downwind people will take their shots at them and then they'll set their wings yeah they're gonna glide for a while there's been a couple of times i've seen that wing get set Four or five hundred yards away, I've seen them fold up midair, just, just fold dead. up and drop yeah, dead. on the wing. Yeah. And those birds at that distance, they're hard to find. Oh, I bet. You know, yeah. it's recovered one of them because uh, I've got a friend that's just amazing at marking down birds. It's just, uh, it's <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. He can mark it, walk you right into it, yeah. boom, you're that's standing right on top too. of it. Yeah. Sometimes that that whole that marking thing is is hard in the chaos of the flush mm-hmm. and everything. Like grouse hunting, you're usually shooting at one bird, but yeah, that's, it becomes a big deal when, when it doesn't work perfectly and the bird drops and, you know, the dog is right on top of it. But yeah, have you ever had anything like that happen, Eric? That you, you know, I, I can't, uh, I can't recall anything in recent memory, but you know, you talk about marking a bird and, you know, I think one of the hardest things in the grouse woods to do is what might have been a straight shot for the bird is anything but for you. Yes. Right. And so where I've had issues in the past is you know i think i'm going in a straight line but then you duck under this and step over that and and uh all of a sudden the mark that you had where's that tree yeah yeah right (laughs) is it that tree uh i don't know there's another one over there (laughs) yeah you're 90 degrees from whatever it was and you don't know which which 90 in which direction yeah so yeah, a lot of times we'll set down a hat to mark that point you shot from. Sure. It yep. at least gives you a start point. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, you know, or if it's where you think it went down, you leave a hat there and you just start searching out around it. 
you know, when you're... And it is nice in those situations, too, if you have someone standing nearby that can stand and you can then direct and, yep. you know, yep. that that really is helpful. And I have found birds like that in the past where you you stand there and let someone else do the looking and you direct them like you would a dog or something yeah, like that. Yeah, if the shooter can stay where he or she was yep. and direct somebody else, that's, that's usually a good way. I will, I will mention, we were out in North Dakota, I was hunting with Tyler Webster, and he... He had this stupid, simple solution. He had a little pair of alligator clamp, little alligator clamp with some orange logging tape on it. And we were out there. We dropped, not me, I wasn't shooting, but two guys I was with dropped some huns, and we started looking for huns in this very thick grass. And he he put that out, you know, because I've hung a hat in a tree and stuff before, but it was like, then sometimes, I've, you know, you can't find your hat or whatever, but... <laughs> A little alligator clamp with some orange logger tape on it was a good good idea, and I I said I was going to put some one in my vest. I haven't done that yet, but that is yeah. a great idea. Yeah, honestly, I think it'd work in the even in uh, upland pheasant hunting. Yeah, you know, yep. you tall grass, whatever you can drop, even just drop it down. And, and that stuff's worse, right? Because yeah. like, you got a sea of grass. Yeah, how do you? Yep. you, you, you can't, can't it, hang a hat. It's hard to yeah, it's hard to yeah. keep that hat sitting high on top of something. Yep. Yeah. You know, that, but that that little engineer tape would certainly be streaming out. You can get it to stay on top of the grass at least. Yep. And my dogs are not; they're not uh, natural retrievers. They're not picking up birds, bringing them back to me. But they have they have found me birds. You know, like Hartley did there. I don't. I don't know. I might have walked right over that grouse on that trail because it was so grassy. Like the the bird was under some grass that I may have walked right by it had Hartley not cut in front of me and went on point which again is just that story in itself is just crazy but having a dog the stuff that they can sort of sort out as far as dead birds go it's uh it's impressive and there's yeah it is one of the many reasons we hunt with them mm -hmm. it's just fun watching them work you yeah. know probably talking about too much pheasant here for a grouse no, hunt no, but no, frankly no. <laughs> watching a uh, uh an experienced dog work work with just you and you and a dog out hunting, yeah. Pheasant hunting, you'll actually learn what happens, what the birds, what are the doing. birds are doing, yep. And you'll see the dog kind of trail off and start circling back behind you. Mm -hmm. And when you're with a group of hunters, you're not going to stop, you're not going to wait, you're going to keep moving that line forward. But if you're out by yourself, you can just stop and follow the dog. Yep. And so many times, making that choice to just let the dog work and work behind the dog has gotten me birds, lots of birds. Yeah. In fact, the last. That the last uh, true pair I got over my old Labrador was kind of the same thing. I just followed her, let her work. She put one up, I put it down. She put the next one up right behind it. And, you know, she was probably twelve or thirteen at that point. So it's uh, when you have an experienced dog, it's just great to get out behind them and, and let them work and watch and learn. Yeah, you know, pheasants will circle back behind you. Grouse will pop up into trees from what Double, I've seen. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially today, they were they were instead of. What I was expecting was them to come and set down today, but yeah. they were setting in the trees. Yeah, yeah. And then we'd reflush them. They'd come out of the trees, and you're looking on the ground waiting for that flush, and all of a sudden they flush up high. They're already in the air. They're already clear, and they're gone. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's – I mean, if you think about it, like the birds that we're after know that, like taking the wing is like a last resort, you know. So, like, they're using evasive tactic, you know, ABC before they – take flight and you know for a grouse that might be to sit still until you either walk past him or almost step on him woodcock kind of same thing Fe pheasant you know sharp tails they're going to use their legs and they're going to yep. in the like where you're getting with that is i agree like i think 
I probably have a tendency to walk too fast, push my dogs through a lot of cover, and probably walk by birds that, you know, had I gone slower, given the dogs time to sort things out. Um, and like you said, when you're by yourself, that's a little easier to do. Like my, my little pup Rose, she is displaying like an ability to, like I'll really give her a lot of time because she just has, shows an ability to kind of sort this out. And like, it's almost like a bird materializes just because I gave her the time to work it out. Whereas, you know, like my, sometimes my desire to explore and get around in the next corner, like I'm pushing them through that stuff but yeah I, I watched rose come to a hard point a couple of times out there and i'm like oh there's got to be a bird there. i mean she she locked up tight and then she'd relocate a little bit and lock back up and finally with one of those last woodcocks she yep. got in there just exactly what i was watching happen happen again and then the woodcock got up yeah it was it was just a, the way it's supposed to work yeah yeah and there were a couple spots in there where this is you know again we've talked about something new for me and it was fun to stop on a hillside or, you know, heading up a hill and to watch her kind of swing far to the right mm-hmm. and then come back left. And then all of a sudden, you know, wheel around and then come around the other side. And, yeah. and you know, in some cases that meant we were working something. In other cases, she was working a scent. But yeah. it, it's cool that, that promise that you have in that moment. Yes. Yeah, that's like even if there's not a bird in the air and, like, if you get a ton of unproductive points, she's pointing and nothing happens, like, you can get... That can get frustrating, I guess, maybe a word to put it. But it's no less thrilling. Like, you see that dog go on point. You're like, even if you don't put up a bird, like, you've had you've had some excitement going on there. Mm-hmm. And, and I imagine Rose in particular, she's a young dog. It's yeah. going to take her a year or two oh, to, yeah. to learn that she can't put that much pressure on a bird. Yep. And that it's going to, you know, flush or relocate. And it, yep. just, it just takes time. I mean, watching the difference between Hartley working and her working today was totally watching a, a young dog on its way up and an experienced dog that knew exactly what was going mm-hmm. on and yep. it was both both are exciting and amazing to watch yeah yeah hartley seemed like he could stay on point for you know an infinite amount of time whereas you know rose was if the bell would stop and you're a ways off i'm thinking you know is she just going to want to move again right right yeah because nothing's happening and we're not, we're not moving quick enough yep yeah i would i would agree with your with your assessment and I would say, you know, both of them being my dogs, like if they, Rose was moving a lot today, it seemed like, and, you know, she was getting hot. She was looking for us a time or two. I think she was working, she was working scent at different times, but we didn't put up a lot of birds in, in a lot of those places. So it wasn't like you would say, well, she bumped that bird, you know, she messed up or anything. Just the bird wasn't there, whatever it was. But both of them, if they're like, when we got back to the truck, actually, well, I was, we were kind of joking because I'm like, oh, this is it's hard to get Rose back. And sure enough, I unlocked the truck and we're kind of standing here and all of a sudden she's gone. And I knew she was gone. And then I my watch is vibrating and she was 190 yards <laughs> away on point. And I, my gun was unloaded. I loaded the gun back up and I hiked out there 190 yards. I found her, went around her, kind of took a roundabout way to her and walked in and there was a woodcock under her nose for about five minutes and in that case she had it she stuck it and yeah. flushed it and I, I was fortunate to kill that one <laughs> yeah i think the woodcocks are probably really good learning opportunity for her because they're going to hold tight they're going to hold right under her nose typically yeah and she's she's still got to grow into that backing off the pressure i think on grouse i mean i i've hunted a friend that had setters and kind of the same thing happened early when they're young they just yeah they are uh very driven dogs they hunt with 
amazing speed, but it also, if you watch them, they're pretty efficient. Yeah. And so, you know, but they're covering a lot of ground. Yep. And I think that uh, when they're young, they, they can just get a little too much pressure on birds. Yep. That's a feeling out process. And that's a, that's a, and I've seen, I've seen Rose do it right a lot. And I've seen, but out here today, she, she went on point. We weren't that far into our walk. She went on point and we heard the bell start going again. And then we heard two grouse get up, you know, so she yep. pressured those. And you, you're hoping as the trainer and handler that that was a learning, learning moment for her. But that's, that's part of hunting and hunting with bird dogs at least when it all comes together it's very very exciting well i don't you know yeah. honestly we wouldn't have had a shot at those no, birds no. either way exactly you know, it's almost so. nice to know they're there you know and again when i'm cutting my dogs loose i'm just hoping that we're contacting birds and yes i have a desire to get them pointed and me walk in and shoot them and stuff but knowing that you're getting grouse contacts and stuff that's that's what we're out here to do for sure mm-hmm. and it's been a great day of it yes yeah. a little warm I think it's actually but now that sun's got a little high back. cloud cover. Like, like I'm, I'm wondering, like, am I feeling like have we just been sitting here? We ate a sandwich. Are we cooled off? If we start walking again, is it going to get hot? But we are getting to that time of year. It's three thirty now. The sun plays out its course a little bit quicker, and the evenings get a little bit cooler. We're getting to the point where the dogs are well rested and. Well, we got a high patch of cirrus clouds working in too, so that'll provide a little more shade that for could, us. That could do some good for us. I don't know how the birds feel about it, but I feel good about yeah, it. Well, yeah, <laughs> we're important too because <laughs> we were getting really hot earlier, and I think we got maybe hundred yards from the truck, and we were all thinking, "Oh man, this is this is hotter than I'm used to this time of year." We were ready to emerge from the brush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Matt, do we uh, do we need to talk? Minnesota BHA? What, yeah, uh, sure. What's going uh, on? Well, bird podcast, but uh, CWD is rearing its ugly head again in the state. Chronic wasting disease in the deer population. Um, I testified to a house committee, an informal committee, I guess it was, back in September. Um, we had a deer farm test positive up near Bemidji. Really? And they were disposing carcasses on public land. Oh, excellent. Tax forfeit public land. So yep, that, that land fantastic. has been at the expense of the DNR of uh, a little under $200,000. Wow. 12 acres of public land has been fenced off. Um, and listening to Dr. Larson of the University of Minnesota's, uh, I can't remember which department he's with, but I think it's uh, Ulster Home Sidrap Group. Um, they... Uh, the prion, the, it's a prion disease, so it's yep. a malformed protein. Yep. And so it survives. Yeah, it's it'll sit in the soil forever, yeah, right? Forever. Yeah. I mean, it, they, they've they've got a new RT quick test they've come up with, and uh, they're the they've tested, and they'll find it in the soil. They can find it in plants. They can find it. It's it's kind of a, a scary thing that we really need to address. So uh, we came out with a stance in support of uh, the. Minnesota Deer Hunters Association uh, put out a letter to the Duluth Tribune that was published, um, basically saying we want to shut down cervid farms in the state of Minnesota. Mm. Um, and I think St. Louis County just uh, yes. yesterday passed a moratorium on St. Louis County has passed really? a moratorium yeah. on it. Absolutely, yeah. they. I don't know that they had any in the county. They might have had one or two, but uh, so the moratorium is one of the things we've asked for that we stop adding new farms. Um, Board of Animal Health and the Minnesota DNR at the end of the last legislative session this summer that went into overtime uh, got a co-authority over cervid farms. So effectively, the Board of Animal Health, who was in charge of regulating um, livestock operations, does not actually have a, a 
enforcement division. Hmm. So they hmm. can kind of levy some fines and some of this other stuff, but they don't really have an enforcement division, whereas the DNR has enforcement officers that can go out and do site inspections. And so they're working out a, a co-management plan for how that's going to work out. That's due uh, beginning of February. There's another, I saw yesterday, House committee hearing on October 27th to get another update on this. Um, in the meantime, it turns out there was a deer farm in Wisconsin that had shipped at least two more yeah. positive deer to the state of Minnesota in the wow. last year or so. Um, and they had, I want to say, 300 plus yes. positives, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It's effectively, we've got a roughly $500 million a year um, industry involved with deer hunting, right? And the cervid farms, according to their best estimates, and this is from 2016, um, they generate roughly, in 2016, they generated roughly $24 million in economic uh, mm. activity yeah. versus $500 million for deer farmers. Yeah, that's that's 20 times, that difference is 20 times, right? So, you know, we're asking for them to shut down the, the cervid operations, we're asking for a moratorium, and we're asking for them to come out with a buyout plan because there is no reason that we need to put the wild herd at risk like this, but we also have to come up with a, a, a workable solution for these farms. Because nobody wants to put a guy out of business right. without making sure that they're taken care of and you know find a way to right. move them on to whatever next profitable operation they Some can compromises have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. we need to make sure that, that uh, we're not only taking care of the deer herd, we need to take care of Minnesotans as well. Yeah. And that's the hard part of all this. I yeah. know there's a, there's a lot of charged energy around it. Sure. Deer hunters are upset. The, the cervid farmers are upset. But we've had 20 years. They've known about this right. for 20 years, and they have and uh, still adverse reactions yeah. every time we ask for double fencing, allowing the DNR to do site inspections. All of these issues were, were non-starters for the ag industry, and unfortunately, we're at where we are today where we're fencing off public land. Yeah. And BHA is the, the access organization. You know, the, yep. the number one reason hunters and fishermen stop hunting and or fishing is due to lack of access. You know, it's it's gotten to be such an industry that there's it's harder to get access to private lands. Yeah. You know, the the we're another two generations removed from the farms. So it's just one of those things that without us taking a stand, we're not gonna get anywhere as, as hunters. We're a large group. So yeah. that's where we're at with uh C W D in the state. Yeah. Um uh we're still trying to get more more and better funding for um recruit, retain and reactivate issues. Where uh, we need to get new and old hunters back in the field. Yep. Um, if you have a chance to take a new hunter out, I encourage you to do it. It's super rewarding watching somebody. And it, it honestly, I think upland hunting is one of the best ways yeah. to introduce people into into hunting. Um, you know, as someone who's a little bit impatient, my wife started deer hunting a couple of years ago. She's uh, not excited about how much movement I have on the deer stand. Yeah. But when we're out, <laughs> when I'm out grouse or pheasant hunting, it's just She's into it. Well, it's just phenomenal for me because I don't have to sit still. Oh, yeah. yeah right? Yeah. No, I'm with you in that. And so I think it's great for anybody that's that's out and new to hunting. It's yeah. it's active. Even if you don't get an opportunity to shoot at something, right? you have an opportunity to see all kinds of stuff, yeah. learn all kinds of things. And like you said, if there doesn't have to be a dog involved, but if there is, that's an additional layer yeah. of Absolutely. You know, engagement. and Yeah. yeah. So... 
those are probably the bigger issues we're working with right now in the state yeah. of Minnesota. What about opportunities for folks to engage? Do, were we doing pint nights and stuff? Uh, we've done a couple of pint nights. Yeah. I was up in Ely a couple of weeks ago and hosted a kind of an impromptu yeah. get together at one of the restaurants up there where we sat out on the patio. Um, we had a joint pint night with uh, Rough Grouse Society, Pheasants Forever. Sports and for the boundary. That waters. was down in the cities, right? That was down in the yeah. cities at Able Seed House. I saw the notification. That, that was, I was awesome. Kind of bummed I couldn't go. Yeah. Um, we had another pint night that was just BHA two nights before that at Unmapped over in Minnetonka. Okay. What we do need to is, have. What is, is Unmapped? Is that a? Brewery? It's a brewery. Okay. Yeah, it's another brewery. It's in Minnetonka. Oh. What we do need to do is probably expand and grow in the Duluth area. Yeah. Uh, we've got a new uh, couple new board members. Jordan Wolf. She's out of. Uh, She's in Duluth, isn't she's she? She's in Duluth, yeah. University of Minnesota Duluth. Yep. She's uh, more on the fishing side of things, okay. which uh, she's written a few articles that have gotten published in the Backcountry Journal. And then Mark Westfall's over in Cloquet. Um, we have another northern board member now over in Bemidji as well, Chance Adams. And uh, those three, we're going to have hopefully grow our presence up here with people. Cool. So we just basically we need to get uh, a pint night going yeah. up here in Duluth. So we're yeah. going to sign you up and yeah. have you well, help Sounds up. good. Yeah. I'd, I was, uh, for a couple of, before COVID, for a couple of years, I was kind of doing a September Upland pint night kind of thing, and we, we brought in BHA and Pheasants Forever and Rough Grouse Society, and so yeah, I'm all... I'm yeah, all I didn't make it that, and that was a, that was a good one. I know, uh, yep. I talked with Bob over at yep. uh, Pheasants, Pheasants Forever, and yep. it was... Yeah, that was fun. That was, uh, you know, Duluth is not a huge city, but there's a lot of people around this area. Yeah, and, yeah, um, absolutely, and, and not only that, you've got... The further you get from the metro, the further people are willing to drive to go to For things sure. because that's yeah. just what happens. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the yeah. rural part of the state. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not a big deal to drive an hour to go to something you want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Eric, how did you find BHA? Like, what kind of drew you into it? I was uh, actually a few years back, um, and we had talked about this some. I had a, a background in the cycling industry. And I was working with uh, Bobby Bobby Dahlberg with uh, Cogburn Bicycles, and we worked Game Fair, uh, and that's where I first learned of of BHA, and uh, really, you know, it, it, it aligned very nicely with the with the way that I like to hunt, and uh, very supportive of of the mission. So, yeah, um, you know, it's an it's an organization that I I definitely am proud to be part of. And yeah, well, I know that uh, you know BHA didn't put this land here that we're sitting on but it is uh i do take take comfort in knowing that you know they represent what it stands for and are gonna fight to protect it if if need be i mean this like again where we're sitting here recording this podcast this is public land i i would have to check if it's state or county but man that is one thing that is yeah get the onyx going there man <laughs> like proud this, sponsor of bha as far as as far as grouse hunting goes in minnesota wisconsin where i primarily do it the amount of i imagine when you're you're bird hunting over to the west of here you're you're hunting public land oh yeah yeah all the time state of minnesota land state of minnesota yeah it's it's a it's a public land sport as a former co-worker of mine ted dick minnesota dnr he used to like to say that and i would i would always agree i mean it's just again we're out here looking for these timber harvests various ages of forest succession and in order to have enough places to go i mean it's just it's it's like an embarrassment of riches as far as like the amount of times like the hike that we did here in this high quality of habitat the amount of times that we could replicate it more than we could ever hunt in a season or two or three i mean it's just we're so lucky to have it but 
because of that, it, it is sometimes easy to take that for granted because we've got so much of it. Like, yeah, it's definitely work to keep it. Yeah. Um, join an organization. I don't care if it's a critter critter yeah. group yeah. or BHA, but uh, we need people to be at least active in the in, in uh, non governmental organizations that are going to push for public land. I know yeah. pheasants forever, rough grouse society. They do a lot with habitat. Uh, we do a lot with access, yep. and it's important to be members of those groups. As the demographics of hunting shift, each year you see this boomer bubble sort of moving through the age ranks of hunters, right? And now we're getting up over 60, and those people are, due to age, not as able to get out and hunt as much, and so there's a little bit of a fall-off in participation, and we need to get more people out. We need to get more people engaged. We need to get more people willing to reach out to their legislatures. You know, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on here. Public land is where most of us, normal folks, are going to have to hunt in Minnesota. Yeah. Just because we don't have the connections to the farming communities more because they're shrinking as well. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to, with absentee landowners, it's hard to get out and make contact with somebody that can let you on the land to hunt. Right. Yep, absolutely. BHA, join them up, check them out. We'll throw some links in the show notes and stuff. And I just remembered something. We didn't say this. We didn't get to this earlier, but there is one person sitting around this little tailgate table here that has killed a grouse today, <laughs> and that would be Eric. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, tell me about the the grouse you put in the bag today. Let's hear that story, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. <laughs> well, you know, some of these flushes run together too, but uh, yeah, that one. Uh, I remember being again. We were close to the cedars and uh yeah. we were we were running an edge and uh as that one came up i uh credit where credit is due yeah i flushed it matt, matt. flushed it you yeah. bird dog that, bird one, up that one right up and screamed grouse as it came up because yeah. i knew i had no so shot i either heard you and or i heard the grouse and i looked up and i saw it flying over my head and then i think i started yelling at you eric yep, it was coming it was, your way it was crossing left <laughs> to right across, yeah. you know going to the right of all of us and uh, it was, you know, it had gotten pretty high at that point, yep. um, but it was nice and clear. And I just took one shot and two, yep. and it was the second one that did it. Yep. Perfect um, opportunity for a left-handed shooter. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, this is the one. Yeah, it was right, it was right, right outside of you, right? Yeah. Like hooked yeah, around. Yeah. I mean, we started the day early making sure that the lefty <laughs> was on the right position, but uh, that one definitely paid off. And uh, yep. the second shot connected, and uh, it... it started to come down and tumbled and yeah. uh, uh hartley was just right on it though yeah you know so i was thinking wasn't quite sure if we had actually connected it didn't fold yeah. in the sky like it was coming down but it was we we didn't know whether it was coming down because of a hit or just of its own volition yep like we didn't know and so we converged upon it you and i yep and hartley ran up and there hartley ran up there and he went on point yeah and so then we we started coming in together ready for it to get up again and then at some point i think the grouse moved yeah the grouse made about a, a two foot move yeah and then that we hardly, know it was hit yeah yeah and then he was on it yep hardly grabbed it and yeah that was the end of that so yeah. well yeah. i'm glad i'm glad that you killed the grouse today you got to look everybody got some shooting today and the day is not over we've we've seen birds we've covered some good country and we might do a little bit more of it but I'd like to thank both of you guys for joining me, not only on this episode of the podcast, but for a walk in the woods and hope you enjoyed walking with me and the dogs. It's, it's always been a awesome. pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. So Thanks for having us. Thanks for uh, volunteering your time to BHA and, and 
putting together this hunt for us because it's been fantastic. Thank you. Happy to do it, guys. Thanks again. Let's wrap this up, and we'll make a plan for the afternoon. Like Perfect. It. All right. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Birdshot Podcast. A quick reminder that we are presented by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, Season USA, Garmin, Sage & Breaker, Uplander Lifestyle, and Dakota 283. Rate, review, subscribe, like, and share. We will catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.